You know, this is the season of happiness and joy, of rejoicing, of triumph, and all the things that are absolutely true as we've been going through a lot of scripture the past several weeks in our Wait What series and coming in now into talking about Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what this series is about, is God is here now with us. Everything we've been talking about has kind of culminated into this remembrance, this discovery, this reminding of God and his presence coming to this earth in order to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. He would send a prophet and he would send judges and he would send people and no one could do what only he could do. So he said, I'll do it myself. And he came. And that's what we celebrate over Christmas. That's what we celebrate in this season, in this time. And there's a lot of celebration that goes on and there's a lot of things to celebrate. I think also it could be a hard season for people as you think of loved ones that are not with us anymore or maybe struggles that you're having now as you're maybe, maybe in the valley and you're not on the mountaintop. And, and it's easy to look at Instagram and, and other things and you see people do things and you're like, ma, oh, I miss so-and-so or I wish I could do that. And it's easy, even in this season where it's supposed to be so joyous because God became, man became a child. It's easy to forget that we should celebrate because it's easy to look at, gosh, pain and struggle it's hard. I, I, know, I know me several years ago now lost my, lost my stepmother. She actually, her birthday was on uh, December 25th, uh, Christmas day. She, she died. She passed of cancer fighting for two years and she passed away on December 26th. And so I, for our family, we, we have that missing link in our family where this season can be hard and yet, with perspective, we can also look and celebrate her life and the life of Christ. And that one day we're going to be with her. You hear a lot about this season in Advent, which Advent literally means arrival. And the, the Advent, the first Advent of the arrival of the Messiah as the Hebrews would await their Messiah to come and save them from all of the rule of other kingdoms. And we celebrate that arrival has come. And yet we live in the now, but not yet. We await another arrival, another advent. And one day Jesus will come back and no more tears and no more sorrows and no more pain and there's a celebration, excitement that comes with it. And yet at the same time, the tension of, but right now I'm struggling. And maybe I wanna talk to you, whether you're celebratory and a lot of you like love this season. I'm probably more of the Scrooge of my family. Like my wife is like, Christmas! Yeah, like trees and lights and all this kind of stuff. And, and our outlets in our front uh, of the house are not working anymore. Her, uh, Casey's uh, dad is an electrician. He couldn't even figure out what's going on. Uh, he doesn't know what I did. Uh, but so we can't put lights on the house. And so we're like the only, like we have all these houses around us that are like the Griswolds. And then there's like our dark house. 
because we can't do lights. And so my wife is like, oh, and I'm just like, oh, well, we got out of that one. That's a lot of work. And so, uh, and I love Christmas, and, and yet be, it, in the exponential ratio, my wife is definitely the most excited. I think we need to be reflective as well. I think there's, a, there's both the celebration and the reflection. There's both the, the excitement, but also, also a little bit of maybe sorrow that we're not quite where we want to be. And again, as we see everything else and there's joy and everybody, every stinking commercial on TV has some kind of Christmas theme going on. I think it's easy to miss the big picture of what happened I think with all our Hallmark movies and songs and that we get this uh, unrealistic and really wrong perspective of what happened 2,000 years ago when a child was born. I, I think it's easy to not go to the actual history and go to Matthew and Luke who gave us accounts in your Bible, in the New Testament, it starts with the gospel of Matthew. And gospel means good news. And it was a person who wrote about Jesus from his perspective. And you have four different gospels. So these aren't just books. These are actually narratives. These are actually um, historical written down facts of what Jesus did and what he was about. And it, in Matthew, you have one kind of explanation, which we're going to read a little bit here in a second, of, of who Jesus was. In Luke, you have a different perspective, and they're, they're complementary, which we're going to talk about. They're not contradictory. But when you really read it and you pay attention to the scripture, it paints a beautiful picture of God. I think it paints a beautiful picture of what's gone wrong with our world as well. As we've been talking about and kind of building up to some of these things and talking about spiritual warfare all these few weeks and talking about things are going on that you don't see and there's principalities and rulers, we've been talking about all that. You kind of see that as you read the scripture. If you don't read the scripture, you would think Christmas, you have like this baby boy and you have this mom and they, they had him in a manger. Well, what's a manger? I don't know, but it sounds cute because when I see a picture, let's look at this picture. When I see a picture of a manger, like this is like, look at that, it's all swaddled and this nice little, you know, you know that, that's probably first century. So that's probably like a little crib or a bassinet, right? And you've got some shepherds and then you've got these like three kings or something. I think we sing about that, right? And they like bring him gifts and gold and you'd be like, man, that's a beautiful sight. It's so pretty, so cute. And that is not the Bible at all. And, and I think sometimes these kind of pictures can put wrong expectations about our relationship with God and our relationship with the world and it messes up our perspective. And it, I think it can easily drive us into a frustrated time instead of a celebratory time. Because we get a wrong picture of what happened. I, I want to tell the story today, kind of get a big perspective, as then we'll get more practical throughout the next couple of weeks. But what is the story of Christmas that is actually told? Again, if you look in the book of Matthew, you see Joseph's lineage and his story from his perspectives, from his perspective. So you hear an angels approach him and all these things are happening and, and where he's coming from when this little, this teenage woman he was betrothed to 
which in their time, they would be betrothed to somebody through their families, which means they were married, but then they didn't consummate the marriage for at least a year. And then they would have the official marriage covenant and be together. And so he finds out this little 12-year-old girl who he's betrothed to is pregnant. What would you do? Where would you be? What kind of scandalous Mari Povich type talk show? We were together, our families knew each other, and she got pregnant. And she said, she had the audacity to say, God did this. The Holy Spirit came upon me. Wait, what? Right? Excuse me? Imagine the people that would talk in the community. You've got some of those people in your family, maybe in your workplace. Oh, yeah, Mary and Joseph, you know, they were together, and then, oh, she got pregnant, and I heard it's not even his. You imagine the stories and the scandal you would have to go through at that time. And it's not just this pretty little picture of Jesus coming and wrapped in swaddling beautiful blanket, Egyptian cotton. It's a picture of God being with us and yet hardship happens. And I want you to notice as we're gonna read a little bit of the scripture and then I'm gonna put kind of a synopsis of the story of Matthew and Luke together to give us a picture of what this is. I want you to think about this because when we often think about God's blessing or God being with us, we think everything's easy and smooth. And imagine God literally in the flesh with you and it gets harder and there's scandal. What does that say about our Christian walk? What does that say about our God? And I'm here to say, it says, there's a war and God came in to infiltrate, but there is an enemy and there is a war. It paints a little bit different picture and I think it goes right along with where we've been. Let's look in the book of Matthew, chapter one, we're gonna read just a few, we're not gonna read the whole thing, there's two chapters of this. We're gonna read a little bit and let's see this, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, this is Joseph's lineage and Joseph's kind of story, his perspective. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, good guy, resolved to divorce her quietly. Being betrothed, again, they were married. They just wouldn't consummate for a good year. Typically, he would go back to his own home and, 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 and get it prepared, bring her in. That was kind of the custom of the age. Finding out she's pregnant, he's a good man. He said, you know what? I'm not gonna shame her. I'm gonna do this quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Okay, let's stop here for a second. Mary says, I'm pregnant. He says, girl, I don't know, but let's do this quietly. I'm a good guy. And then angel, we've been talking about angels. We've been talking about some of these things, comes in a dream. It's interesting. His name's Joseph. And Joseph in, the, in Genesis had, was a dreamer. And he has this dream. The angel speaks to him and says, it's real. It's legit. This is right. And he comes back to her and he's like, all right, let's do this. And let's look at this prophet what he says, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, which means they didn't consummate, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, a good, just man, from his perspective, this wasn't a blessing at first. Oftentimes when God blesses you or gives you a word or God is with you, it can maybe at first seem like he's not. Seem like, wait, if God is for me and with me, then why is this happening? Why in the world would God do it this way? I mean, think about this. Why? Why have to have a virgin birth? And why have to use these two people and in this way and have to supernaturally convince him instead of him just being full of faith and trusting this woman? I, I love the doubt in the scripture because, you know, if I was making up this story, it would not look anything like this. It would not be like this. It, it would be all blessing and good and great. It wouldn't be like this tragedy and hardship and him having to believe her. And then not only that, believe her and take her and now go to where he doesn't really even want to go. At that time, we're going to see Caesar Augustus, the Caesar at the time, who was pretty much, most people considered him God or a God of figure of some, some sort. And he ruled practically the whole known world. And he said, I want a census. And let's see a little bit about this story. I'm just going to read it. And I have it on the screen so you can follow along. Because I want you not just to be bored, but I want you to get the bigger picture of what continues to happen. Joseph is of the lineage of King David, who was born in Bethlehem. Interesting thought, Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. The bread of life was born in the city of house of bread. The Roman Caesar in 5 BC required everyone to return to their ancestral home so that they could be counted. It really was for assessing what the people owned for the purpose of taxes. It's always about money. Because of this decree, Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem. 
We know this part. It is in the city that Jesus was born in a manger. And we see this in Luke 2, 1 through 20. On the eighth day after Jesus' birth, he circumcised according to the law of God, which you see in Luke 22, 21. And if you go to Leviticus 12, you see why they did that and some of the uh, understanding of the law. Wise men from the east, or magi, after seeing and following a star, almost certainly an angel, for two years seek Herod the Great's assistance in Jerusalem, Matthew 2, 1 through 3. The appearance of such dignitaries in a huge caravan, there weren't just three kings This was a caravan of people coming into Jerusalem. It causes great concern for Herod and the city. Although Herod does not have a clue of where the Messiah was to be born, he asked the priests and scribes if they knew. Verse four, Jesus is brought to Jerusalem's temple after 40 days of purification. So he's born, he's brought to the temple as required by law, again, Leviticus 12, to be presented before God. His parents make an offering to the temple of two young birds. It is also during their visit to the temple that a priest named Simeon prophesied about his mission in life and blessed his parents. Before Mary and Joseph leave the temple, a woman named Anna, a widowed prophetess who lived in the house of God, blesses them as well in Luke 2, 36 through 38. So here's, this is the timeline. The family then returns to Bethlehem. The priests and scribes inform Herod that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. This is in Matthew 2, 5 through 6. Herod encourages the Magi to find the Christ child feigning. He wants to worship him as well. Then report back to him, verse 7 through 8. After leaving Jerusalem, the Magi notice the star that brought them to Judea has appeared again. So it's, it, it, it came, they, astrologists, they knew it. They went to that area and then it left and it came back. It leads them directly to the house, not a manger, where they find Mary and Jesus. Finding them in a home, they offer their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, as the story goes, Matthew 2, 9 through 11. The Magi, after being warned in a dream, do not return to Jerusalem to report back to Herod. An angel tells Herod, or tells Joseph, excuse me, in a dream to flee to Egypt after the wise men leave Bethlehem because Herod will soon want to kill his child. Herod the Great was not seeking to worship Jesus, but saw Christ as a potential rival to his throne. He wanted to know the exact location of where Jesus was born in order to kill him. He flies, Herod, flies into a rage when he discovers the Magi are not coming back to Jerusalem to give him the information he wants, verse 16. He then orders the cold-blooded murder of all Bethlehem area and really the whole region. It says males two years old and younger, verses 16 through 18. After Herod dies in early 4 BC, an angel again appears to Joseph in a dream. This is like the fourth time. Joseph doesn't know how to hear God, so angels just constantly appear to him and tells him it's safe to return to Israel. Matthew 2, 19 through 21. Joseph after arriving in Judea, discovers Herod Archelaus now reigns in that area. Fearful of going back and living in Bethlehem, Joseph is instructed in a dream to go to Galilee. The family makes the long trip and goes back to living in Nazareth. Now, 
How many, give me a hand, and, and I say give me a hand, and most people don't do it. If you've had a baby, anybody had a baby? Guys, you're not allowed to raise your hand. Um, you helped, but the good part. Now, um, how many had a hard time with that baby when they were first born? Maybe a rough birth? I, I, know, I know me, our first child, me and Casey, were 23 years old. Yeah, I know. That's why we have a 15-year-old now. Do the math. Uh, and we were married. We'd been married uh, two and a half, almost three years. Found out we were pregnant. The first thing I did was take a bath. And I was like, I'm 23. I've got a baby on the way. What am I doing with my life? And um, we, just a few weeks into the pregnancy, found out she had some bleeding and they were concerned about the baby and it was just kind of like one of those things, what are you gonna do? How are we gonna, you know, um, do, we, do we know what's gonna happen? And, and we just prayed and, and we're, we're sitting there going, God, this is our first baby. And we were in ministry, we were youth pastors, worship leaders at a church in Abilene, Texas. And, and um, we were just like, okay, God, we're so excited having this baby. And then we find out that we're not sure if he's gonna be completely formed. We're not sure what's gonna happen. And the doctors weren't sure. And so the, our pregnancy started with that little bit of fear and just like, okay, God, this was supposed to be celebratory. This was supposed to be awesome awesome and we're afraid like we're, we're pastors and we're doing ministry and yet we have this trouble why and yet through that we prayed and we're reading the scripture and you see this constantly in the scripture again we have this mindset that if God is with you everything's easy and everything just works out. And you see those people, everything's just amazing. You're like, well, God's with them. And you see those people that are struggling, you're like, man, the devil's with them. And yet in Scripture, that's not necessarily true. And we, 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 we wrapped our arms around this worship song, this Hillsong song that, that we just sang, and it just gave us so much peace in the midst of this fear. Well, we, we get to... The birthplace, and as you know, I've, I've mentioned it, uh, my wife gained 70 pounds first baby. She's just good at that. And uh, she loses it quick, but man, it was amazing. So we rolled her into the hospital, and she's there, and she's, she's giving birth, and the, it, it, was the, it was so hard. Uh, our first son, his head is just gigantic. He's like mega mind. And he just would not for any reason, I mean, we just could, I mean, they were, they sat there two hours. We were this close to a C-section, but they finally were able to get the forceps, turn him, pull him out. And he's white, not screaming, not breathing. And we're just sitting there like, uh, is this how this is supposed to be like I've seen the movies and the baby's crying and they slap them and I get to cut the cord and all of these things we thought were gonna happen, none of that because they just rush him out. And my parents were in the room and they went to go take a picture. In fact, there were 14 nurses in the room. This is how hard the pregnancy was. They're like, hey, come on, check this out, intern. Um, and my poor wife, she's so modest. She's just like, I don't care, get this baby out of me. Not breathing, white as a ghost. And my parents go to take pictures. They're like, don't take pictures right now. And they are resuscitating him. They have to do it twice. He's running a fever because the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck and it choked him out. And we're sitting there like, what is going on? It was the craziest, most traumatic moment we've ever had with all these people flooding in, trying to figure out what to do. 
And yet what happened was God was with us. Like he wasn't with us so that we wouldn't have to go through anything. He was with us because we were going through things. And I can't explain it to you because I know we've all had loss. I've had loss. But that feeling of peace where I just knew the Lord said, I've got you. And there was just this peace. I don't know why. Even on our, on our lips, everything was like, it's going to work out. We know everything's going to be fine. And within two hours, he was in our arms. Jaundice looked like Mike Tyson got a hold of him with his head all beat up. But that's how our son entered the world. Because labor is hard. Can you imagine? I want you to get this picture. Mary not only finds out she's pregnant in this scandalous type situation, is threatened with divorce. Imagine the anxiety and the shame of everybody. And then Joseph comes around. He's like, yeah. And then they have to travel. Listen, they have to travel from, what does it say? From Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is roughly 65 miles pregnant. And we have this picture of they have like this donkey. Listen, if you had a donkey back then, that's like having, you know, I mean, like a, a Lexus or something. Like most people did not have donkeys then. So more than likely, they're traveling by foot in a caravan of people because a lot of people had to travel to get to their homeland for this census. And so they're traveling with a lot of people, but not easy, 65 miles. Many of you guys have a hard time driving in a car to come to church, Right? You don't want to go see family because they live 10 minutes away, right? It's like, no, this is hard, right? 65 miles they had to travel. And then what happened? They get there. They had to go another five miles after they have the baby to Jerusalem where the priest Simeon and Anna, we saw the prophetess, prophesy over him. They speak. They go through the rituals. They bring him back another five miles to Bethlehem. And then these magi come that are worshiping other gods and other things, but hear about the most high God coming and follow this angel right to where they are. And now they're going, man, we're blessed. We've got myrrh, we've got some gold. And they're sitting here amazed. It says they're amazed at the words spoken over this baby. So God is doing supernatural things. And then they had to travel from, this is what it says, from Bethlehem to Egypt to get out of there because... Herod is killing all the babies under two years old. You know, Bethlehem to Egypt is roughly 429 miles. Can you imagine taking a one-year-old, less than one-year-old, and now you're like, Lord, like you're with us. This is like your holy anointed child. We've got prophecies and we've got all these great things spoken over us. And you are here. And, and I mean, people are finding us through an angel and these shepherds show up and say the angels that are singing and you're going, I got to travel 429 miles walk. What is going on? See, we don't paint this picture. It's all clean and pretty. Not to mention this, a manger is like a, a sheep's trough, right? It's ugly. There's manure everywhere. It stinks. It's not a pretty picture. And you're like, how does God relate with manure? Hardship, traveling. Why is it God, how God just meant kill Herod, take care of Herod. That's easy. That's easy. Why doesn't God do that? Why is this uproar to kill all 
of these babies. Imagine Mary taking her child to Egypt and hearing from her friends that were pregnant too, all the two-year-olds that lost their life because of the child they're holding. And imagine the questions she's having. God, I have a firm belief that at that time, they, they knew a lot of scripture. Their whole life was wrapped around scripture. You talk about weird homeschool people today where everything's like, let's do math, open your Bible. Like what? That was their whole life. Every story, the scripture was their whole life related to all and everything they did. And so she knew the scripture. She knew the story of God. She knew, and Joseph as well, knew that when God is with you, it doesn't mean everything's easy. In fact, sometimes it gets harder because there is a real world at war and there are real hardships and things coming and God doesn't always do everything for you because listen, God's not always interested in delivering you from the valley of tears. He's interested in delivering you through the valley. Like, see, we're always just like, God, take this away. And he's going, no, 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 see, I'm gonna take you through it. Like, we're gonna get out and my will will be done. But I don't just take you out. I take you through. And see, if you don't have that perspective in life, you will struggle this season. In fact, you will struggle every day because there is potential for some kind of struggle and something to come along the way. There's potential to see other people living their best life. And it's always like the sports center highlights. I don't hardly watch games anymore. Just watch the highlights. And you're like, dang, if I saw that, I would think, you know, LeBron James, first of all, everybody loves LeBron James, right? Uh, and like, man, this dude's worshiped and he makes everything. And yet, if I watch the whole game, I see a lot of misses, mispasses, a lot of flops. I see all of it shocked in the fool. Now, that is real life. And yet we can easily look at everybody else's life and even ourselves looking at the past, see all the good things and forget all the hardships that help make those good things great things. And that's, I believe, the greater narrative of this story of God being with us. Here's my one point, one takeaway. Blessings and favor Likely, I almost said always, but likely accompany warning and danger. It's not always just easy. And again, if you think, man, where's God? Because I've got all this going on. I've got all these issues or problems and I, I just want this kind of life. God's going, I'm with you. And here's the thing, God is with you. And God showed himself with us, Emmanuel, in the world and exposed himself. But is God in you? Is he in you? Is he living inside of you, encouraging you, comforting you? 
calling you to a higher level, calling you to celebrate and be joyful for the things that you do have and the things that he is doing instead of just the hardship and the frustrations? And do you realize that God's blessing and favor accompanies warning and danger because there is an enemy and there is something there trying to kill, still, and destroy you. He, the enemy wants to kill your witness, man. He wants to take away your right to be able to stand up for anything because you're not living it. He wants to steal your joy. He loves to steal joy by inserting hardship, trials, thoughts. And he wants to destroy your very life. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not letting him go. I've got a plan. I've got a better plan. But don't think I'm not there because it's not always supernatural. If we look at this story, we see so much supernatural dreams and angels. And I think that's a part of the Christian life. Jesus says, greater works will you do because I'm here. So you should be experiencing that as well as some danger, maybe some warnings. It's real interesting. I, I saw this picture. I posted it this week on Facebook because it astonished me. Go to the next slide. Um, Mel Gibson talking to Jesus on the set. And somebody wrote, this is what it looks like when I complain to Jesus about how hard my life is. And I thought, oh man, picture speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? I, what I love about this picture is, is, you know, in some ways it's funny and it, it can make you feel bad. Like, yeah, you're Jesus is in there bloody. Like what he went through, the way he was born, the trials, who he is. And I'm sitting here going, man, you know what? That person was real mean to me this week. And he's going, really? But, but the second thing that's astonishing about this, and I love it as a good picture, is he's listening. And he is compassionate. He's not just going, whatever, bro. You guys know people like that. You probably had family like that. You have no idea how hard life is. You don't know what I've been through. We had dial-up internet. I mean, you know, like... just looking at that, just thinking, man, in the midst of my pain, things I've been through, man, he's going, I'm with you. Like I'm for you. I'm in you. We're going to get through. We're not going to stay. That's what I love about Jesus. He went through. He went through a cross when he could have called down thousands of angels and said, whatever. He went through. And if you can't celebrate a God that would go through, you don't understand our God. Man, when you get it, you go, I can go through anything because you're taking me through, because you're taking me to something, because you have a plan. And in the midst of joy and sorrow, you're with me. Let's stand to our feet. 
I wanna encourage you as we close, we're gonna worship here. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and we're gonna sing this song that we sang earlier of more and more. We want more of you, God. Lord, I need you now for the sorrow and I need you for the celebration. I need you for the joy and I need you for the hardship. Go to the next slide. I, I wanna encourage you. We're gonna do a CLC challenge. We have a, a blog we call starter.com. We call it starter because we wanna help you start your day and get in the word of God. Because the word of God brings life, it speaks to us, it is living, the scripture says. And we're gonna have this challenge on here. We're gonna encourage you to go through the book of Matthew. Two chapters a day starting tomorrow. Since we just did kind of one and two, we want you to start with three and four, go all the way. And then you see on Christmas day, Tuesday, the 25th at the bottom, the last one you'll read. Matthew 1 and 2, the Christmas story. We want to encourage you to read that with your family. Take a time. Don't just do Christmas as usual, but let's, let's really look at the story of Jesus. We're going to have it on starter.com, which is also on our app, so you could just follow along. Might have some commentary from some of our teachers, but we want, to, we want to get you in the story. We want to get you to see the big narrative and the great picture of a God who had to come and be with us to save us. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you, Lord. We ask you, God, show us more of yourself. Even as Moses would cry out, show me your glory, Lord. Lord, we ask, Father, no matter where we are, no matter where everybody is, you know them, every hair on their head, your word says, you know each person so individually and you can touch them individually and you can heal them individually and you can help them be joyful even in the midst of sorrow because you're with us. Lord, we worship you and we ask for more of you. Let's worship together. We'll have our one-to-one our -one team ready to pray for you. Let's just worship a God who is with us. In Jesus' name.